Good afternoon, Valley family. Listen, just one more time. If God's done anything good in your life, can you just give him your best praise right now today in this noon service? Celebrate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in this place today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My name is Stephen Francis, and I am so excited to be here with you as we are in a new series called Seven. And Here's the deal. This series is about the seven I am statements of Jesus that was made in the book of John. But we don't want to assume you know exactly what I'm talking about. So for anyone that may be new to church or maybe just doesn't have an understanding, in the gospel of John, in the Bible, Jesus makes seven declarations about himself. That first shows who he is in the sense of his God and, and his divinity, but also shows what his mission here on earth is all about. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at those declarations that Jesus made about himself and seeing how these declarations affect us today. And I'm very excited about this particular one. This is one of my favorite ones, actually, of the seven declarations of Jesus. But before we get into that, I want to ask a question in here. And before I even ask this question, I need to just make a quick disclaimer, a quick reminder that this is a judgment-free zone. That if this is you that I am asking about, please know no one has the right to judge you about this question, okay? Here's the question. Is anybody in here bold enough to raise their hand and admit that they like scary movies? Anybody in here? Anybody here willing to admit they like scary movies? Thank you so much. I know I'm not alone. I know there's people in here right now, oh, Pastor, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I know, okay? But still, I love me a good scary movie from time to time. Let me also make a quick disclaimer about that. I don't like, like, the demonic possession movies. I'm not into that. I love, like, a good zombie movie, movies in that type of category, but I like scary movies from time to time. And this was an issue for me growing up, because if you've ever heard me speak before, you've heard that I grew up in a very charismatic Pentecostal home. And this is an issue because there were no scary movies allowed at all in my home growing up. In fact, growing up, it was almost a borderline capital offense in my home to be caught watching a scary movie. Nevertheless, I always wanted to watch a scary movie. And when I was in high school, I walked up and I was hanging out with my friends. And they were like, yo, did you see that scary movie that came out? And to this, I, I don't remember what the movie was. I'm not even going to act like in church I remember what it was. But either way, they were like, man, this movie's so good. I was at the edge of my seat. I was so scared. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I could see it, but I haven't seen it. And one of my friends was like, yo, Steve, I got you. I got a copy of this movie on DVD at my house. I will give it to you tomorrow. Now, this is a problem because obviously I can't watch scary movies, but also I only had growing up in my home one room that had a DVD player and it was downstairs in our little family room area. And this particular room had a clear French door there so my parents could always peep inside and see what me and my sisters were watching to be sure it was appropriate. But I came up with a plan. I said, you know what, on Saturday nights, my parents always go to sleep early because they wake up to serve at church. So I'm going to pretend that I went to bed at the same time as them. And when they're real in their deep sleep and it's late at night, I'm going to sneak out, tiptoe downstairs into the family room, and I'm going to watch this movie. So the plan goes down. And what I'm about to tell you is 100% true. They go to sleep as planned. I pretend to go to sleep. I wake up real late at night. It was like midnight or so. And I sneak downstairs and I put this movie on. 
and I don't remember what the movie was, but I do remember I was shook. I was at the edge of my seat. I was sweating. I was nervous. I, I was real into this film. And while I am watching this film, it was only 45, maybe 50 minutes into the film, there's a storm outside and it cuts off all the power. And I go from thinking I am watching the movie to now I am in the movie. And the other scary part is now I can't even get the DVD out the DVD player because there's no power. So I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go back upstairs and real early tomorrow, I'm going to get the DVD player before my parents ever know that there was something in there. And as I am walking to the clear French door, true story, I see on the other side a dark, shadowy figure standing behind the door like this. All I see is the silhouette, and I'm not talking about the TikTok silhouette, if you pick up what I'm putting down. And there's this moment that all of us have. All of us have watched the movie or television show before, and we said, if that was me in that situation, I'd fight back, or I'd run away, or I'd call the police. And I completely disappointed myself in this moment. Because as I am standing there and I'm looking at this shadowy figure, no idea who it could be. My parents are asleep. There's nobody else that should be in the house. I'm so scared that the only thing I could get myself to do in this moment was to as much courage and muster as I could say, who's there? I turned, I had a goofy voice out of nowhere. It was so embarrassing. And the voice that I heard back said, uh, it's your dad. What are you doing? I was mad at him because who stands like that behind the door in the dark? That's ridiculous. But then he was also like, who else would it be, by the way? Why are you down here so late? What was? And then he was like, were you just watching a scary movie? <laughs> and all of my true fears came true in that moment. Because not only was I caught, but I am not allowed to watch television at my parents' house to this day. But here is the reason why I tell you this silly story. Because today we are talking about the dark. And it's funny how sometimes there are things that are seemingly completely harmless and, and innocent in the light that kind of scare us and make us nervous when we're in the dark. But we're not talking about physical darkness today. When I'm talking about darkness today, I'm talking about those private habits and secret sins that we have that we don't want people knowing in the light. In fact, if I could define it real quick, when I mention darkness, I'm talking about the thoughts, feelings, and actions that we have that aren't publicly seen and known. Many of you in here today know what it's like to have your thoughts be in a dark place, thinking to yourself constantly, I'm not where I should be. I thought I would be way further in my career by now. I'm looking at all these other people that I knew, and they're way ahead of me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fat. I'm ugly. I, I thought I would be more than this. And you just know your thoughts are constantly in a dark place. Maybe you're in here right now. You know what it feels like when you have relational darkness. Man, me and my spouse aren't getting along. It's a war zone. My kids are acting crazy. It feels like everybody in the world is against me. My relationships are in a dark place. 
maybe you're in here right now and you know what it feels like where it's this particular sin that you're struggling with, this habit that you have, and you keep saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is destructive. This is embarrassing. And you go through a series of doing well, a season of doing good, and then eventually you end up slipping again and, and binging on whatever it is. And, 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 and now you're just feeling the shame and you're in the cycle of sin and you just know that your private life is in a dark place. For anyone in here, that has ever felt like their life is in a dark place. I have good news for you today. And that good news comes from John 8, verse 12. And it says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a powerful declaration Jesus makes and it changes the way we see our lives but it's important that we understand it from the context by which it was said because that is where the true power lies see in John 8 and at the end of John 7 we see that currently Jesus is in the feast of tabernacles in Israel also known as Sakat and this week-long or so celebration was the people of Israel celebrating how God had delivered them out of Egypt. And they, during this week, would eat particular foods that were reminiscent of the time. Some people would literally live in tents. They'd build these big tents and live in the tents as symbolic of what their ancestors lived in during this time when they left Egypt. But the big celebration that they had during this week was the illumination of the temple. And the illumination of the temple was where they lit up these 75 feet high, uh, uh, I believe it's a, a menorah and also a candelabra that they call it. And they would light up these torches and it would burn all night, symbolic of how God had a pillar of fire lead the people at night to deliverance. And I actually have a picture of it right here. You saw that picture before. You see this picture here. And they have these large candelabras, these large menorahs that were lit up and they were made of limestone and gold. And not only did they have this, but they had other lights surrounding it. And it is believed by scholars that because there was no competing light at the time, that this was so bright and so brilliant that people could see the, 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 this lighting in the entire city. Everyone could see the light that was coming from the temple. And also, they would get their own torches, and they would light the torches, and it was a night of singing and dancing all night, celebrating God for delivering them from Egypt, but also in the act of asking, God, can you deliver us again? Can you save us again? Can you lead us again through your light in regards to them being under Roman rule? So when we see Jesus in John chapter 8, we see that he is in the temple the day after this light celebration. And we see this starting at John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, when it comes to darkness in our lives, I want us to understand that darkness is where we do dreadful things. 
And what I mean by that is this. Everybody here has a public persona. Everybody here has a version of themselves that people can see. But many of us might have some habits, might have some moments in our past that we would really love to keep in the dark, that we would really like for people to not know happened. And unfortunately, some of us, the things that we have done in the dark in the past or maybe when we were currently in those dark places ended up getting exposed. We got caught. Such is the case for this woman. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And not only was she caught, but surely there was shame from being caught. I mean, let's be real. Many of us have grown up in church, and we've heard this story our whole lives, so we kind of wash over what happened here. This woman has been caught ruining a family. There's a whole community of people whose lives will be changed because of what happened in this act. And what even blows my mind, too, is that we don't know this woman's name. We just know what she's guilty of. And I resonate with that. Because I also myself have been caught with the things that I was doing in the dark. If I could be just vulnerable with you, there was this time back in college and I went to Liberty University, which is a Christian college. And I was pursuing a, a biblical studies degree for my bachelor's and I was working hard in classes and I also got a position as a, as a prayer leader, if you will, and that position was allowing me to do Bible studies with people that were open to doing a Bible study on my dorm and I was good at that and people thought I was a great leader and I was enjoying it, but those were all the things that were happening publicly. Privately, however, I was dealing with some insecurities. I was dealing with some issues that I haven't properly addressed and it caused for me to act out in ways that I'm not proud of. One of the ways that it caused for me to act out in ways I'm not proud of is I uh, got into a relationship with this girl and this girl wasn't a bad person, but she just wasn't good for me. And this relationship led to some friendships with some guys that didn't have the same interest as I do and it caused for me to end up making some bad choices about how I lived my life and, and, and trying to be one person in front of everybody, but then secretly when I'm with these guys, someone completely different. And as I'm living this out, there was a particular moment where me and my guys, uh, these guy friends that I had, thought it would be fun to do this particular thing. And while we were in the act of doing it, uh, uh, of trying to make ourselves look cool and fun to these girls, I ended up getting caught. And because I ended up getting caught, they said that what I was doing was completely unacceptable for the leadership role that I had, and they had to take it away. And I'll never forget the disappointment that I had when they took that position away. And because of the position that I had there, too, it affected my financial aid that I had there. It affected the relationships that I had because there were so many people that looked up to me and thought I was this particular way and found out about this secret life that I had with these particular group of individuals. But the most hurtful thing about that whole season was that I no longer saw myself for who I was. I no longer even saw myself with the potential of who I could be. I just saw myself for the mistake I made. And truth be told, if I took the time to give you all the details of what happened and, and, and why I did it and why I thought it was cool or whatever, all of you would have the same response. Wow, Stephen, that was dumb. 
Like, that was a not smart thing to do. And I know that. I feel the same way. But it still didn't change the fact that after I did that, all I saw myself was for that dumb moment. All I saw myself was for the shortcomings that I made. But I wonder if there's anybody in here that feels the same, who defines yourself by that one bad choice you made then instead of who you are today or who you could be tomorrow. Surely this woman felt that as she was exposed in the darkness that she was doing. And we don't know the details. We don't know how long this was going on. We don't know uh, where the other guy was because the other guy should have been penalized for this. We just know that she was guilty. But there's also something else that we're looking at here. And that is this in John chapter 8, starting at verse 6. They, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that brought the woman, were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him being Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, began, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, there is a lot of debate by scholars on what Jesus wrote in the ground. Some scholars believe that Jesus wrote down the exact sins that those men were guilty of, and when they saw their sin on the sand, then they said, you know what, I'm out, I can't do it. There are some scholars that even believe that Jesus wrote down the names of the woman that those men were having affairs with, and when they saw their names, they said, oh, you got me, and they walked away. I like to believe Jesus does what we do today. Have you ever been in an awkward conversation and you don't know how to get out of it, so you just start playing on your phone? <laughs> I think Jesus was just working on his grocery list. He was like, he who is without sin cast the first stone. I'll wait. Let me get some milk. I need some kosher. Be oh, y'all still here? All right, let me get some eggs. Until they slowly all walked away. And I like to joke about that because we clearly see that whatever he wrote in the sand didn't matter. It wasn't what he wrote that made them walk away. It was what they heard him say that convicted them. And this brings me to the next point, is that darkness can make you spiritually delusional. See, when it comes to physical darkness, it is a scientific fact that there are negative effects on the body the longer one is in the dark. It is actually considered a form of torture in certain spaces. Because the longer you're in the dark, the more it starts to affect your memory, the more it starts to make you think you're hearing things that aren't actually heard or are being said. And it can also affect your perception. You can start to believe that things that are actually close to you are far away from you. You can start to believe that things that are far away from you are actually close to you. You can become delusional because of the time that you've been in the dark. And the delusion that I believe that these Pharisees and these teachers of the laws are guilty of is pride. These men caught a woman who was guilty of her crime, yes, but saw her and what she was doing and thought it was therefore okay to use her for their own selves drag her to Jesus, probably half-clothed, and use it as an opportunity to get up on Jesus. 
They treated this woman for what she did and not saw her for her value. I believe that there is a problem that many of us have because there are some people in here that don't have anything that's too crazy in the dark. Let's be honest, there's nothing in your past, there's nothing that if people knew about would cause for them to see you that different. But the temptation and the problem that many of us have is that we use that as a form of pride and we see people that are in negative situations that have some bad behaviors and some really uh, unproud of moments and believe that we are now therefore better than them because of what they've done. And this isn't just something that we do. This is something that's seen throughout history, where we will look at a person or a group of people and believe that they are worthy of our judgment and condemnation because they are some way beneath us. That's how racism works. That's how misogyny works. That's how classism works. It is seen throughout history in almost every society. But the most dangerous place that it's seen is right here in the church where there are people that many of us know right now that do not want to come here because they believe this is a place of judgment, a place of condemnation, a place where if people heard about what they are dealing with, they will be looked at beneath being worthy of God's salvation. I was talking to a friend the other day that was trying to get this friend to come to church, and this person has what would be considered an alternative lifestyle, and this person said, I'm not going to church ever again. I tried church. I'm not going. And he said, why, why don't you want to come to church? He was like, I tried to give my life to Jesus. I tried to work things out, but the Christians there didn't even want me to be a Christian. They saw me for what, I, for what I've done. They saw me for the things that I do, and they, and they said I wasn't worthy. They made me feel unwelcome. How much more these men? But what I love about what's happening here is that Jesus shows them in this moment that they're all the same. That maybe they're not guilty of this particular sin, but they are still guilty in the eyes of the Lord for something. If I can give you just a quick understanding of how God sees us. Just bear with me. I want to uh, give you this analogy. I had a mentor of mine that shared this with me, and I thought it was powerful. He said, Stephen, imagine you and me are at the beach in New York, and we're looking at the Atlantic Ocean, and we're standing on this dock. And I say to you, hey, Stephen, I'm going to jump off of this dock, and I'm going to jump all the way to Europe. And as I'm running to the edge of this dock, I end up slipping, and I fall straight into the water, embarrassing myself. I'm not dead, but I might as well be. I'm that embarrassed. And you say, you know what? I'm going to jump off this deck, and I'm going to land all the way, Doc, and I'm going to land all the way in Europe. And I get to the edge, and I jump as hard as I can, and with all the uh, effort that I can muster, and I end up getting in the water a few feet away from you. See, you can look at me and make fun of me because I fell off the dock and be like, ah, oh, man, if you were more athletic, you'd be able to do it. If you, if you had more coordination, you'd be able to do it. I don't, it's your fault that you fell off the dock. You need to get your stuff together. But at the end of the day, neither of us are anywhere near Europe. We are so far from Europe, it's foolish that we ever thought we could try. That's how God sees us in our goodness, in our righteousness. 
You may think you're better than the person next to you because your marriage is good, because your finances are good, because you don't have any dark things in your past. But in the eyes of the Lord, you are nowhere up to par to be good enough in his standard. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one, according to Scripture. And Jesus in this moment makes a powerful declaration. Because there's the darkness of the woman that got caught. There's the darkness of the men and their pride and using her for, for their own gain, for their own superiority. And we see this in John 8, starting at verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And this valley family is the moment. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This declaration that Jesus says about himself is in a temple where the night before people were praising and asking God to bring deliverance for them in their dark place. The statement that Jesus says about himself is said after there was a confrontation with a woman's darkness and men's darkness that brought her there. Jesus is saying, I am the light you're looking for. I am the light in a dark place. So I give you this encouragement that the light of Jesus will lead you out of darkness. Some of us in our past, some of us know people right now that when we think about Jesus, when we think about Christianity, when we think about faith, we think that it is a mechanism used to bring condemnation, to bring judgment, to make us feel bad about ourselves, and to shame us into behaving better. I have come here to tell you, Jesus did not show up to be the light of the world, to shine a light and expose and condemn you. Jesus has come to get you out of darkness. Jesus is like the essential first-line responders on 9-11 when everybody else was running away from the rampage and the, and the rubble. They were the ones going in to save the people that were stuck. That's what Jesus came to do for each and every one of you today. That is the love of Jesus. And this is the powerful moment that we also see here in John chapter 8, verse 1, because it says here, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you know why Jesus didn't condemn that woman because of her being caught in adultery? It's because he already showed up to pay for it. I already showed up to take care of it. That secret sin you're dealing with, I took care of it. The issues in your life that you can't overcome, I'm taking care of it. You allow it to rule you, but I'm telling you it's already lost in my presence. Because whatever it is that has given you guilt and shame and condemnation, it was nailed on the cross with me when I died. 
And on the third day, when Jesus rose from the grave, he rose up in power and authority. And none of those things that have caught you in sin and condemnation and guilt rose with him. This is the light of Jesus that is offered to each and every one of us today. But what's so unique about this passage, this declaration that Jesus says about himself, is that he also says that we're the same. In Matthew 5, when he's speaking uh, to, on the uh, Sermon on the Mount with his disciples, and there was many people listening, he says this in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it in its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. My only application, my only challenge to everyone in this room today is this. Follow the light. The light of Jesus is made to give those people that are in the midst of darkness a way out. But I want you to take hold of what Jesus says one more time, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Church, we live in a dark world. There is darkness all around us. And if you don't believe me, watch the news for 10 minutes. People are hurting. People are scared. People don't know what to do or where to go. There are some people in here right now where you're hurting. And maybe you're scared and you don't know what to do. You feel like your life is falling apart. But Jesus has come to be a light and bring you out of that darkness and challenges you to be a light for someone else. People need to see that there is hope in this world. People need to see that there is love in this world. And what we don't need is any more people that are claiming that they believe in Jesus, but they're not following him so people can't see the light that he offers. There must be a change. And I'm grateful to know today that there is. That Jesus woke us up today with new mercies, with new opportunities. That Jesus has placed people in our lives strategically that we could be bright lights to them even in the midst of dark times that we're living in now. And it's with that that we come to him. How do you follow the light, by the way? Maybe you're wondering, what does that even mean? To follow the light means to simply say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Praying, reading scripture, being in community where people can encourage you and you can encourage them. Going outside of your way to love people the way that Jesus loved people which is without condemnation, acknowledging the issues that they've had, but for seeing them for who God has made them to be. This is where light comes from. This is the hope that we receive. And as with that, I'd love to pray today. And will you pray with me? And right now, I just want to pray for every person in here that has perhaps already received the light of Jesus. 
and just maybe has lost a bit of that light in their lives. The hardships of life, the difficult situations that are happening in our culture have caused for you to no longer see Jesus as bright as you used to. If that's you in here today, Father, we just want to bring this to you. Asking you to be that light in our lives again. The light of life and life abundantly again in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't show up to condemn us. You didn't show up to judge us. You came to free us, to save us, to do a new thing in us. And we open our hearts and our minds with open arms to say, God, fill us again with your light. Fill us again with your life. Give us so much of it that people see it for themselves and they want it for themselves too. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this moment. And I want to make a second prayer because maybe you're in here right now and you've never received the light of the world. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. I want to let you know this is a free gift. This is something that you can receive right now. And if you just simply repeat these words after me, you can receive Jesus in your life. So if that's you, just repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. Shine a light on my darkness. Help me see what you see. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this new life. I receive it now in Jesus' name.